Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. I am Rick Thomas, and this is Life Over Coffee. You can find me in my coffee shop all day long, lifeovercoffee.com. Please come over, check out. We have a lot of free content for you that you will not only enjoy, but you will benefit from. And we encourage you, of course, to share our content with others. I had a wife write in, and she's been reading some of our content, and she asked if I would just explain a little bit more. What she's asking is she understands her role to be submitted to her husband in their marriage, but she's listening to me saying that you are also a disciple maker, and so there is a co-equality aspect in the marriage. Those are two things, but she's struggling with those two things. And so she's asking me if I would explain a bit more, which I am going to do right now. I will share with you what she wrote in to me because that will set the stage for what I want to talk about. But first, just let me add a little bit of clarity if I can, because it is common for someone to confuse their various roles within a hierarchical structure and their co-equality with everyone within that hierarchical structure, and that is her confusion. For example, a wife can be a sister, a mother, an employer, an employee, a church member, and a citizen. She fits within all of those structures, and she is equal with every person within those contexts. This perspective It doesn't negate each other, but it actually expands the possibility of how someone can love God and love others in the most effective way. One of the misguided roles that some women accept or maybe they just resign themselves to is that they are lesser than their husbands with no responsibility to speak into their husbands' lives. And this perspective can be tragic, especially if the husband walks away from God and walks away from his word. And there is a person here who is available and has love for this individual, yet she sees herself as disqualified from speaking into into his life because she only sees herself as a subordinate, not as a person who is equal to to him. And so I've titled this, Going Over Your Husband's Head to Help Him. And if you want to read everything that I'm going to share with you, please go to lifeovercoffee.com and you can read this, watch this, or you can listen to it. And that would be wonderful. Let me begin by sharing a, a verse of scripture that I think adds to the confusion, and it is Genesis 2.18. And I want to share specifically out of the King James Bible. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. A friend was working through these perspectives on roles and equality And this is what she wrote me. She said, Rick, I struggle with the concept of a wife discipling her husband. I've read most of what you have said about this, yet I struggle with what that would look like in marriage. I believe I am to be my husband's help meet under his authority. 
not a woman teaching a man. I believe much, if not all, of my role is to provide what he needs and what he wants when he needs and wants it for him to accomplish the ministry to which God has called him. What you say appeals to me, but my flesh is usually rising and trying to usurp authority over him. Will you explain more about what you mean by wives discipling their, their husbands? And so this is what she wrote in. By the way, if you have a question for me, I would love for you to write in and ask that question. You don't have to be a financial supporter of our ministry. Our supporting partners, they actually have access to an interactive dialogue forum at lifeovercoffee.com. Because they support us financially, we honor them by interacting with them throughout the day and throughout the week, and that's something for them. But everybody can't and everybody shouldn't support this ministry, but we do want to serve you. And though, if, So if you have a question that you would like for me to work up into a, an article or a podcast, I would love to consider it, but you would have to write and tell me and say, hey, Rick, you can write something like what this lady has written here, and that would be great. And maybe I can develop it into what I am about to share with you. And so I want to begin, and I think this is the first place, it is a proper understanding of the word help meet, because you see it in the text in Genesis 2.18 in the King James Version. It is one of those words that we have brought from our old English Bible, our 1611 King James Bible. It should not have been one word, though, because it is not one word. It is actually two words. The original Old English words are a help plus meet. Those are two words, not one. But because many folks accept the word help meet in our modern Christian speak without argument, then the meaning of those two words become obscured and even assumed, and this perspective is unfortunate. The confusion originated in Genesis 2.18 when God said that Adam needed a helper who was suitable or complementary to him. The King James Version of the Bible says, a help who is meet for him. But because our modern English is not the same as the 1611 English when, the, when the, they published the King James Bible, some people do not know what the word meet, M-E-E-T, means. And so what they do is they just combine those two words, help and meet, M-E-E-T, as though the two are supposed to be one, help meet. Now, I don't want to be the word police here. That's not the point. But there is a point when we combine two words, it can obscure the meaning of those two words. And so after the two became one, some writers even modernized the, the non-word, help meet, into another non-word, help mate, because that sounded better to our modern ears. But it is still obscuring what the text actually says in Genesis 2.18. As far as the word goes, helpmate looks and sounds better than helpmeet, 
But again, the problem remains. The Lord initially rendered the words to communicate two different ideas as any two words would. And so help, the Hebrew, is ezer, and, and it's not important to be able to say that or know that, but help means ezer, and it refers to the person. In fact, some places, like in the Psalms, you will see the word help or ezer talking about God who is our help. In this case, the person helping, helping Adam, was Eve. Eve was Adam's helper. And then meat, well, it refers to Eve's role. She was to complement him, to be suitable for Adam. You could read it this way. God is going to make a helper, Eve, who is suitable, complementary for Adam. The made-up word, help meet, or the modern equivalent, help mate, it means help suitable is what it means, which is unnecessarily confusing. Theological precision and practical application suggest that it is better to separate the two words and to give them their unique and accurate and intended meanings. God made Adam a wife who was perfect for him. She, the helper, was suitable or meet for Adam. Eve was not suitable for anyone else. She was perfect for Adam. Each husband has a perfectly suited helper wife like a hand in a glove. The wife's meet role in the marriage is a complementarian role. Christian spouses are complementarians as opposed to egalitarians. Complementary is different from the word complement. Complement spelled with an I is different from complementarian, which is spelled with an E, C-O-M-P-L-E. And so it doesn't mean that you complement each other all the time. It means that you are perfectly suitable for each other. The husband is not better than his wife, and the wife is not better than her husband. The two complement each other perfectly. Adam needed something. He was missing something, and Eve had what Adam needed. Adam was missing a rib, you could say. Well, guess what? Eve was what he was looking for in a wife. The text says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. Eve is not Adam. Eve is her own woman. She is different. Men and women are different. There are two genders, male and female, and they are not the same, even though they are both made in the image of God. And so Eve is not Adam, and Adam is not 
Eve, he is his own man. He is different from her. He has different abilities. He has a different physique, a different biology. The man is different from the woman, but both of them have missing pieces that the other person can fill. This reality is how two can become a beautiful one-flesh union. It's not like a bump added to a log, but two people who are assimilated into each other, forming a unique one-flesh union. And this union means Eve was not added inferior baggage to a completed life that Adam already was because Adam was not complete. But she was an essential, she has an essential unique role to play in her husband's life. She is his helper who is perfectly suitable for him. And part of her suitability is her strength which Eve needs to complement her husband. If she were a doormat or if she was a be-seen-not-heard person, she could not adequately help her husband. She would not be suitable for him. Now, you can hear inside of this word, a helper who is suitable, that Eve is not only different, but there is a confrontation aspect between Adam and Eve. Meaning because Eve has her own perspective and she has her own life and she is her own person and she's going to assimilate into this person, meaning she's going to bring a perspective. She's going to have ideas. She's going to see things that are different from Adam, but that is what make, that is in part of what makes her suitable to him because she can bring a perspective. Now, there is an element of confrontation there, a good kind of confrontation that you want. You kind of see this idea in Hebrews that we are to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The word stir up there means that we are to agitate or we are to irritate. We are to biblically irritate or agitate each other. God irritated us. He agitated us. There was confrontation between God and man when he was bringing us from darkness into light. He was digging into us. He was, he was stirring us up. He was, he was trying to get us to see that there is a, a better way, not out of, of arrogance, not out of superiority, not because he hated us. No, he loved us, and so he wanted to confront us because he knew that there was a better way. And so you see this helper in God, Ezer, and you see it also in Eve. And so there is a biblical agitation aspect there that Adam needs, and by the way, Eve needs that as well. In Philippians 2, you kind of see an analogy which I would carefully walk into, but I want to share it with you because I, I'm not comfortable making it, using the Trinity as an analogy. But in Philippians 2, it says, Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of his servant being born in the likeness of men. 
And so one of the concerns that my friend suggests is that she should be under her husband's authority, which is absolutely true. But submission is not all that she should be to her husband. And while I appreciate her humble attitude, and I know that you heard it when I read part of her letter to me, when I read it to you, her humble attitude, but it it is her willingness to submit to him, and she is to be commended for that. But she must understand there is much more to how she responds to her husband. And in the text that I just read, Jesus Christ took a similar position as he submitted himself in his humanity to his father. He became a man, a submitted position as a man. He willfully subordinated himself to the father after becoming a human being. Now, this act of human subordination, it does not mean that he is unequal to his father as though he is subordinated to his father in the Godhead. No, that's not true. So this theological truth is what Paul is getting at in this excellent passage in Philippians. This text teaches what theologians call the hypostatic union. Christ is 100% God equal with the Father, and he became 100% man. There is no contradiction here, though there is a whole lot of mystery. Depending on what Christ is called upon to do, the role that he performs, his humble submission as a human does not negate his equality with the Father as 100% God. Now, that's my careful analogy, which makes me a little bit, it creates a little bit of tension in my soul. But I, I really want to be clear here. And so the wife's roles and responsibilities within the marriage covenant are analogous to what we see in Jesus. Yes, she is to subordinate herself to her husband, but on the other hand, Eve is equal with Adam. A wife is equal to her husband. You could say it this way. She is his wife in marriage. You could say also that she is his sister in Christ. There is a imago Dei aspect here made in the image of God that creates inequality where he is no better or worse than she My friend in the letter only mentions one of her roles, the subordination aspect of the marriage. And while I do appreciate her humble acknowledgement, I must call attention to the fact that she is her husband's sister in Christ. I am assuming that both of them are believers, but even if they were not believers... They would still be the same under God as image bearers. Do you understand your dual, your dual and non-contradictory submission and co-equal roles in your marriage? They're dual and they're non-contradictory. Regrettably, a few husbands play the authority respect card, manipulating their wives to a role of submission while not envisioning and equipping them for their co-equal responsibilities. I don't sense this regarding my friend who wrote the letter, and I do hope that she would talk with her husband about what it would mean to envision and to lead her to become a more valuable asset within the marriage. 
I hope that they would read the article, listen to the podcast, watch the video. Imagine the complimenting possibilities if a wife brought her unique gifts and strengths to the marriage. I mean, nobody has more insight, nobody has more intel on a husband than a wife does who has seen more aspects of his best and his worst qualities than anyone else. The wise husband wants an expert to help him, to easer, help him mature into the best possible leader. And no one has more experience with him than his wife. She is perfectly suitable to be a competent help, helper, perfectly suitable for your unique husband within the framework of your unique marriage, then you must grow in your understanding of how to be a complementary helper. An aspect of this truth means that you are a teacher of your husband. Now, perhaps you prefer the word discipler. That is fine, and honestly, it is more accurate. Paul's language about a woman not teaching in the context of the local church setting has nothing to do with a wife's role to come alongside her husband within the home and the marriage in a disciple-making capacity. Being under a person's authority should never negate loving someone enough to bring corrective care into his life. I trust that the local church people understand this and have enough love and affection to bring corrective care to their pastor's lives as it is appropriate and biblically to do so. These ideas do not contradict each other in the Bible, and they should not create a contradiction in our minds or our marriages. I would say it this way, that if a wife is not helping her husband... In his sanctification, then she is not adequately fulfilling her role as a wife. She doesn't have to lecture him or to set up a lectern in the home for teaching times, 8 o'clock, with Mabel as I teach Biff to bring instruction into Biff's life while Biff sits at Mabel's feet. No, her overall God-given discipleship responsibilities do not begin after she walks out the door of her home where she can only disciple others but not her husband. That makes no sense at all. She should be praying about her husband. She should be reflecting on God's word as it applies to her husband. She should be seeking to bring reasonable discipleship care to her husband. If her husband is humble, then he will leverage this remarkable asset that God has given to him. He will perceive the wisdom of God in giving him someone who loves him so much that she wants to use her skills to serve him. The wife then becomes the perfect match that is suitable for him. Her husband will pursue her, her opinions, her observations, her God-given wisdom. 
Sometimes the wife will bring corrective care because there can be that tension. I mean, if she's perfectly suitable for him and has ideas and wisdom and insight that is uniquely different from him, because we live in a fallen world, she will bring uh, help sometimes that will create conflict in the marriage, and that is okay if they are for each other because she knows him. Has your wife ever predicted what you might say or what you might do before you said it or did it? My family has done this to me many times. And then afterward, I would ask, hey, how did you know that I was going to do that? And then someone would say, a wife, my wife or a child would say, well, dad, you, you always do that because they know me better than anyone else. And I would be a fool not to ask my wife to speak into my life regularly. We have multiple decades of living with each other. She knows me, and in some ways she knows me better than I know me. My appeal to every wife is to prayerfully step up to the marriage plate and figure out how they can serve their husbands through discipleship care. And perhaps these men are not open to this kind of practical need in their lives, that they do not see the suitability of their wives and do not allow them the opportunity to speak into their lives according to their uniqueness that's perfectly suitable to help this husband. Maybe all a wife can do is to pray for doors of opportunity to open in the future so that she can bring discipleship care to them. Of course, a few wives will err on the other side of the complementary coin as they attempt to rule over their husbands. As in most situations, there are two ditches and you want to stay out of both of them when it comes to what it means to be suitable for your husband. You are not to submit to him in the sense that you have no role, no ability to speak into his life, and you do not rule over him. You do not want to neglect the unique discipleship gift that your husband needs from you which, by the way, is a form of disrespect and dishonor and unloving. Disrespecting your husband while ruling over him is the other ditch, which is at the heart of egalitarianism. Your goal is to embrace the middle narrative that releases all that God has given to you to serve your husband while not trying to dominate him. Give your husband the wisdom, the insight that the good Lord has given to you. You have a relationship with God. You hear from the Lord. You can discern things. You are a second set of eyes that your husband needs. I told Lucia many years ago that I did not marry my doppelganger, my clone, my identical twin. I married a uniquely different person from myself. She has things that I do not possess, and I need her to give me the stuff that will assist me to become the most effective leader in our home. Of course, she followed up by letting me know that I needed to create an environment, a, a context of grace that is conducive to and motivating for her to speak into my life. She did not want my appeal for her to care for me to collide with my stubborn refusal to resist her care. 
if I need her discipleship care, which I do, then making it hard for her to care for me will discourage and eventually disconnect us from this mutual marital responsibility. A wife actively and practically submitting to her husband while discipling her husband is an excellent means of grace to him. Now, I am fully aware that there will be many women listening to this, and they will sign off on it, but their hearts will be heavy because their husbands will be unwilling to cooperate with them in the mutual care of each other. And I understand how discouraging that can be. These despairing women should know that their husbands, their husbands are their authority, but they do not have absolute authority over them. And perhaps the most effective way to disciple these husbands is by going over their heads. The church gives you an, an authority chain that is supposed to come alongside any person stuck in a non-redemptive hierarchical structure. Maybe a spiritual leader in your local church is the next authoritative person to talk to about what is happening in your marriage if your husband is not open to this collaboration, a helper who is suitable for him as the wife should be. And so I've titled this, Going Over Your Husband's Head to Help Him. You can read everything that I just shared with you at lifeovercoffee.com. You can also watch the video that I have produced and the podcast too. Before I wrap up, I want to just work through a handful of questions that I trust will uh, continue to provoke, to stimulate, to irritate, biblically irritate uh, you as you work through applying what I just shared uh, to your life and marriage. Number one, are you actively and practically participating in your dual roles in your marriage? This is a yes or no question. Your dual roles are actively and practically submitting to your husband while actively and practically being suitable for him by uh, coming alongside in a discipleship capacity. Are you or are you not? Number two, what needs to change so that you can fully complement your husband, specifically how you disciple him, but there could also be an opportunity for you to re re-examine how you are submitting to him. And so maybe the better question is, what needs to change so that you can fully complement your husband as a disciple maker or also subordinate within the hierarchical structure. Number three, do you disrespect your husband? Yes or no? Do you disrespect your husband? The two most common ways to disrespect him are not loving him enough to care for him and then succumbing to bitterness because he's not all that you had hoped for. If you disrespect your husband, then the first thing that you want to do, you can't bring discipleship care to your husband while disrespecting him at the same time because whatever you say or do is just not going to sound right. It's not going to pass the ear test uh, because the disrespect will be there no matter how much you uh, try to mask it. 
And so the question is, do you disrespect your husband? You do not have affection for him. And if that is true, then there's time that needs to be spent in the closet begging God to give you a heart for your husband so that you can respect him minimally as an image bearer. Maybe that's all that you can respect him for. There's people in our world that is very hard to respect because they're not only antithetical in our belief systems, but some of them are hostile to us or hostile to you. And we can still pity them as fellow image bearers, even though we can dis disagree with them uh, in a profuse way because we're just not going to agree. But it doesn't mean that I have to disrespect you as a fellow image bearer. And so if you do not respect your husband minimally as a fellow image bearer, then that is the first work that needs to be done. Question number four, are you afraid of him? And, and here, there could be two aspects of that. You are afraid of him because he is a harmful person. If he is a harmful person, you need to stop right now and go over his head and to get the help that's necessary so that you are out of harm's way. But also, how does fear of man manage you when you think about speaking into his life? Sometimes fear of man can have control over our hearts and minds, and we need to work on that to where he is not so big in our minds and that we can speak into his life. And so what is your plan to change this so that you can serve him more effectively if there is a fear of man issue in your life? Now, part of it will be addressing him uh, because he could be creating that fear of man. He, he could be he could be facilitating or fueling your fear of man. And so there is a, a cooperative effort that may need to be addressed. And so you may need to go over his head to, to help him to see that you're, create, you're not creating an environment of grace, but you're creating an environment of fear. But then that doesn't release you from also working on your fear of man. And so I would encourage you to do so. By the way, we have a course at lifeovercoffee.com, how to not be controlled by the opinions of other people. It is a fully automated online course. You can take it in your coffee shop. You can take it at home, uh, but it will help you to overwork what the Bible calls fear of man. Some people call it insecurity, peer, peer pressure, codependency. But to over, overcome fear of man, maybe taking that course would be beneficial to you. What I've shared with you is titled, Going Over Your Husband's Head to Help Him. I trust it has been an encouragement, maybe possible conviction. I hope that it will get the ball moving in the right direction so husbands and wives can have mature, humble conversations and maybe even a reset uh, in their marriages so that they can... Uh, be in the best place to be mutual helpers who are suitable for each other. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.